So, uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Sermon on the Mount. I chose just to go through the Sermon on the Mount before we go into Revelation. We had finished the book of James, hard-hitting. Faith without works is dead. We want to be a church that lives out our faith. Boy, how does that happen? By connecting to the vine, staying in touch with the Lord, having that spirit-led life. Hanging out with the Lord, and as He prompts on your heart to do things, we just do it. Well, how do you hear the voice of the Lord? Well, guess what? First of all, He's already spoken. Wonderful. The Word of God right here. If it's not in here, if it's contradictory to that, well, gosh, we just kind of better second chance that one, huh? We better say, no, let's hold off on that. But also, as we develop this relationship with the Lord, it begins to nudge in our hearts and show us how to how to uh, respond to him. You know, he'll tug on your heart and say, hey, I want you to go over and share with this person. Now, you know that's not the enemy. He doesn't want us to go share with anybody. It's definitely not your flesh, because your flesh doesn't want to do that, does it? He wants to stay comfortable. But as you begin to have this relationship with the Lord, and his desires become your desires, your heart begins to change, and, and the things that he loves becomes the things that you love. As children of God, growing up like our dad in heaven, his desires, we kind of start to mimic him. We start to put off those old things and put on the new. We start following the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and it's a beautiful thing. Do we trip and fall? Yes, we do. Romans talks about that, that war between the flesh and the spirit. But as we begin... uh, as you, as you finish, uh, James, go do it. I want, you, I want to see this in your lives. Well, how do we do it? We're kind of just hopping into Matthew here, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking to believers here, I believe, and he's saying, hey, these are some practical applications of how you do things. And as we've been going through, God, Jesus has been teaching us about the kingdom of God, such a weird concept. It's like saying the kingdom of, of Saudi Arabia. We, you know, how many of you have been there? You know, okay, one of you, unfortunately. <clears throat> you know what I mean? In a war circumstance. But I'm just saying, what's it like? What are the people? If, if I were to be a, a citizen of this place, if I were to uh, please the king, which is the objective, you know, to not go against the government, what, who, who do I look like? Who do I act like? How do I respond? What is culturally acceptable? Because being Americans, if we walk over there and we just be, be Americans, oh, that's not going to be good, right? Well, in a very similar fashion, when we have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are no longer our own. We've been transferred the kingdom of man, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, into the kingdom of light. We're now his kids. And now our spirits are growing and learning by faith what it is to be his kid, how to act, how to please our Father, to be in the image, molded into the shape of the image of Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. So we're all on this journey together. And as we've been talking about it, uh, you know, the Lord's been challenging us. What, to what kingdom are you living? Are you living according to man's kingdom, the kingdom you've always known? Or are you living according to your heavenly Father's kingdom? And what does that look like? 
It's the upside down kingdom. As we've been going through Matthew so far, Matthew chapter uh, 5 and 6, so far we see that man's way, man's kingdom, is to be proud in spirit. Pride. It's relished on earth. Isn't it? But God's way is what? The poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Man's way is to justify your sin. God's way is to mourn over it. Man's way is to be prideful and controlling. God's way is meekness. Man's way is to try to satisfy your old soul with the things of the world. God's way is to hunger and thirst after righteousness, and you will be filled. Totally upside down, isn't it? Man's way is vengeance. God's way is mercy. Man's evil at heart, wandering. Lord, his way is purity in heart. Man's way is contentious. God's way is peacemaking. Man says to keep your beliefs to yourself. Jesus says to let your light shine. That's your own personal relationship. Don't push that on me. Hey, Jesus says to push it everywhere. Shine it. If you're taking that, man, you've, you've been lied to. You've taken the social hook, line, and seeker. No one wants to be told that they're a sinner, do they? Obviously, we need to be spirit-led in how we say these things. Amen? We don't want to create enemies, but at the same time, we're called to shine the light. Shine the light. Praise the Lord. That's hard. Yeah, it's easier to get up here and talk to you about Jesus, but then go home and shine my light in my house. Amen? Or to go and walk down Walla Walla and the Lord's saying, go, 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 go share the Lord with that person. Uh, Lord, I, I kind of prefer it on Sunday mornings when I have everybody I like in here. You know, that's not going to at least beat me up right now. You know? Jesus says, let your light shine. Man sets his own standards for righteousness. The Pharisees did that. They interpret the law so that they could accomplish it. It said to you in your heart, do not murder. You know, but I say it to you that if you have anger in your heart, Jesus said if you have anger in your heart, you've fallen. Wow, how deep is that? It's not just a superficial keeping the physical actions. It's what's going on in your heart. That's what God desires. That's his way. That's his kingdom, the kingdom of the heart. Not PC. You know, being politically correct in all these things. What's going on in your inner workings? Who are you really? That integrity Man says not to murder. Jesus says not to have anger in your heart. Man says to kill your enemies. Jesus says to love your enemies and pray for them. Man says to strike back. Jesus says to turn the other cheek. Man's way, man's kingdom, is to do religious deeds for man's praise. God's way is one of personal relationship. Jesus has been contrasting God's way and man's way in the Sermon on the Mount. And as his disciples, as children of the living God, we're to be living for the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. You've been born into a new kingdom. Amen? We're new citizens, different citizenship. And like children being born into a house, we learn to mimic our parent, our father. One of the wonderful things about the Lord is he doesn't have the bad things going on. Amen? <laughs> so Jesus continues right here in chapter 6, continues to, continues to compare and contrast two kingdoms, two ways of doing life. Today, we're going to read about three different sets of choices we have. First, the, choice, the first choice begins in verse 19. 
Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The first choice is between two treasures Jesus is talking about. Man's way, God's way. Where is your treasure? Jesus warns us not to store up for ourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because they're not secure. They are not secure. One reason why we buy insurance. (laughs) Nothing is secure. Even insurance isn't secure, amen? I mean, you work really hard in life. And you go and you buy a nice car. What happens the first thing you park in a parking lot? Someone just, (laughs) ah, you know, not secure. Someone's going to break into the thing, dent it, key it. You have a house, you have possessions, trying to keep the rats out, the mice. You're constantly worrying about these things. Is this secure? Are people going to come in and steal this? Anybody had anything stolen from them? Mm. Nothing like the wrath of Matt, you know? Instant non-Christian. Vengeance is mine, you know? <laughs> when they go and they steal these things. I mean, things, this world is not lack, is, is not secure. Everything about it is dangerous. There are very few things that are, are safe and secure. Even relationships family, finances, the market, wars. That's why when Jesus says in Revelation, hey, when it says peace and safety, I mean in in Matthew, look out. When they start telling you everything's safe and okay, hey, look out because it is not. It's really not okay. Nothing's secure. Now, now that should unsettle us a little bit, right? That should make us like, oh man, this is a horrible place to live. Ah, that's right. It's not all horrible. But where are things secure? Check it out. It says, first of all, they're not secure because moths and vermin can destroy. Thieves are going to break in and steal. Things depreciate. And Jesus or- orders us, he, he commands us, he exhorts us, he challenges us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Because things are secure there. He goes on. They will be secure. Verse 20. Moth and vermin, they, they do not destroy. And thieves do not break in and steal there. The point he is making is that your, tre- that your treasures are a reflection of where your heart is. Your treasures are our reflection of where your heart is. Is your life wrapped up here on earth with all of its toys and pleasures? Is it? If so, know that your treasure is temporary. That's what the Egyptians tried to do. Remember all the guys in the pyramids? What are the pyramids stuffed with? They used to be stuffed with? They're trying to bring all that stuff with them. Didn't happen. Corroded. People came in and stole it, took it away. It's sad. 
You know, you know, you never see a U-Haul following a hearse, right? It doesn't happen. Or is your life wrapped up in the kingdom of heaven? If so, your treasures are eternal. In other words, God is your treasure. If God's your treasure and you, you live after him, it's going to be demonstrated by the way you live, by what's important, by what you place value upon. Isn't it? You will know a tree by, a, by its fruit. The proof is demonstrated in where your time is spent, where your money is invested, what relationships you gauge, engage in. These things are proofs of what you truly believe. Are you invested here on earth in earthly things and those pursuits? Are you invested in things about the kingdom of heaven? Now, we're going to get into this, okay, because obviously this brings questions. Can't I have anything? Of course. But we're talking about the heart, first of all, right? We're going to get back to that here when Jesus talks and starts addressing things. But what are you aspiring for? What are you striving after? What are you working yourself for? What are you going after? Is it eternal or is it temporal? Now, Believe me, I don't think we're supposed to be hanging out in, you know, in a toga eating beans, you know? I mean, it's just, and having no possessions whatsoever and not even connected with the world. God is all about people. He's all about using all these things that we have for his kingdom. But if those things are our goal and not the kingdom, what happens? Our eyes are off the prize. And we become ineffective and people are not brought to Jesus Christ. And there's no, there's no breakthrough in our community. And we're, we're sidetracked in all these other pursuits except for the thing that God's heart beats for. Bringing people to him, loving other people. You'll know a tree by its fruit. And again, this is an issue of the heart. David Guzik said, I like this quote, he said, the issue isn't that earthly treasures are intrinsically bad, but they are, uh, they are, no, they are of no ultimate value either. <laughs> if this is the case, then how can the disciple of Jesus continue their dedication to continually expanding their earthly treasures? You know? If in the end it's all going to go, why are we pursuing these things so hard? Now, I have to ask you. Yeah, I just bring up the question, does this mean you can't have a house? Does this mean you can't have a car? Does this mean you can't remodel? Does this mean you can't do these things? No, it's all between you and the Lord. Which, where's your heart? Amen? Where's your heart? That's what he wants is the heart. If these things aren't number one, Lord's, the Lord will be a blessing in it. Amen? But we live in a society that is very materialistic. It's extremely materialistic. It's all about what you have and how you can get it. Why do we update our clothes? I mean, just down to ask a question. I mean, I, I obviously, you know, I might have a three-year-old shirt, but I mean, you update it constantly. Why? Not because they necessarily wear out, right? Yeah. <laughs> Don't say that, Brad. 
the desire for more. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to, you know, you'll see me with a new shirt on, all that type of stuff. I'm just saying, where are our hearts? Does the Lord, well, is it okay? Again, I'm not trying to be legalist because there's a very fine line to where you can say, hey, you guys, I want you to be monks. No, that's not what he wants. He wants you to have the heart. And then God can bless you with things because they're not important and you can give them away and use them for his resources. Amen? I mean, isn't that the heart of it? Amen. That's, that's what I'm excited about. Lord, make me uh, make things not number one in my life. Make you be number one in my life and that way I can just hold them in my hand and say, Lord, can I bless my family? Can I bless these people? What do you want to do? Oh, I just want you to enjoy it. Okay. You know, or whatever the relationship is. It's exciting because he's the prize. He's the treasure. We have two visions here. We have two choices, the treasure on earth or the treasure in heaven, the treasure of now that will go away or the treasure of secondary gain that will last forever. If we are his, it'll be reflected in how we live. And that's what he's saying. And so as as we kind of, continue to compare and contrast. Secondly, that's the choice between two visions. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light is within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You know, I, just speaking from a humanly thing, uh, I've kind of, I know I'm like 35, but I mean, I looked at you know, I'm trying to get an eyelash out of my eye and I'm realizing I can't see what I'm looking for. Did any of you like hit that stage? Probably haven't hit it yet. I've got bad eyes, but no, no, no. You can see everything. I'm like going, okay, now I have to put on my glasses and then there's this double thing. Do I get a magnifying glass out and do it? I mean, what a weird world. But your eyes start to go and boy, oh, how great is this darkness? You know, <laughs> this is going to be fun. You know, the idea he's asking today is, where is your vision? Be thou my vision. That song we sing, I love that song. Heart of my own heart would ever be fall. Be thou my vision. You know? I love that. The idea he's asking, where is your vision? Are you looking to earth for life? Or are you looking to him? Are you looking to the Lord, the Lord of life? The eyes of the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If you are looking to the Lord of life, if you're looking to the light, your soul is going to be full of light. He is the light. We see that in John chapter 1. He is the light, and in there is no darkness at all. Who is our vision? What are we looking at? What is our, our, our desire, our, our passion? What is it wrapped up in? Is it Him? If you're looking to the light, you're going to have, you're going to have clear, clarity in your, in your heart. But if you look, as he says here, if you're looking to, uh, but if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. You know, if you look at the world, if you're looking to the world for life and the meaning and for meaning and purposes, your whole body is going to be full of darkness. It doesn't have any answers down here. Our answers are in him. This world holds no answers for you. This world holds no hope for you. Our hope is in the Lord. That's it. If you're filling your mind and your heart with the things of the world, if your eyes are on the, f- f- the world, how, how dark, how great is that darkness? 
What are we filling our lives with? What are we pursuing? Very, very interesting. How great is that darkness? Now the choice between, you know, the choice between two visions it talks about. No one, no one can serve two masters. Sorry, the, the choice between two masters. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. God's dealing, hey, obviously, what do we all like to have a little bit of? Money. Because things cost money. This life costs money, doesn't it? Amen. A lot of it. I mean, and you decide to have a kid? Ha. Huh. Two kids, four kids. You're insane. You should be checked into a mental ward. <laughs> Nobody's home. <clears throat> no one can serve two masters. The choice is between two masters. Money is a major idol in the lives of many believers. It is. It's a constant struggle we have. It's really easy. I struggle with it. You struggle. We all struggle with it. Amen? It's a struggle. Until we put God above money, we're going to be subservient to the almighty dollar. You know? And the almighty God will be second. Can't serve two masters. Jesus points out that you are a slave to one or the other. You'll be subservient to one or the other. You're going to be a a slave. You're going to be in bondage to one or the other. I'd rather be in bondage to the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) I want to be totally sold out for him. For the believer, money is a tool we use for the kingdom. Amen? It's a tool we use for the kingdom. Taking care of our families. Taking care of other people in their hurting, when they're hurting. Investing in ways that God can reach people for Jesus Christ. You know there's missionaries in India right now that you can sponsor for just ridiculously no money at all. You can sponsor from a whole year because they're not Americans. And they'll go there and live on rice and beans and live in a hut and preach the gospel 24-7 and give their lives. Because if you're 25 bucks a month or you're, you're $10 a month or $3, whatever it is, you know what I'm saying? Now, just, just playing with myself here. What if I didn't do Starbucks for a year and decided to take that money, invest it in a missionary? I'm not saying you don't need to have Starbucks. You can have Starbucks and sponsor a missionary. Isn't that great? No, I'm just kidding. But what I'm saying, you got what I'm saying? Think of the eternal value. Think of these things. When you give your tithes and offerings here, we don't talk about money hardly ever. Just as it comes up in the scriptures, that's it. You know, oh, if you just give and bleed for the Lord, is he going to pour out? You know what? Chances are you're, you're tithing because you love the Lord and it hurts. But God is faithful to take care of you. Amen? We'll, we'll get into that in just a second here when he gets into the part about that. But until we put God above money, we're going to be a slave to one. You know, for the believer, money is a tool we use for the king, for his service. He puts it in our hands. What do you want to do, Lord? Take care of your, your lights. Take care of your, you know, these things. And what else do you want to do, Lord? We pray about everything. We pray about everything. 
It's not ours. We're not owners of it. We are stewards of it. Lord, what do you want to do with my house? Lord, what do you want to do with my car? What do you want to do with my time? What do you want to do with my money? What do you want to do? Lord, it's all about you and your kingdom. And I see so many of you meeting with different people. I see so many of you meeting each other's needs without even involving the church. Just going over and blessing them because you hear that they're hurting. Praise the Lord. That's the way it should be. Amen? The Lord puts it on your heart and you go. Let it, just let it flow from you. And the thing is, is as we let go, God puts more in our hands to give away. But as we hold on, it's like that story about monkey treats. So we used to keep, cap- capture monkeys. So they cut a hole in the coconut, put some goodies in there, and the monkey would reach in, and they would tie the coconut, obviously, to something. They'd reach in, and they'd grab the goodies, and he wouldn't let go. He'd keep his fist on the thing, and so he'd just be running around, with, you know, stuck to this thing. If he just let go, he'd be free. But no, he kept holding on. And then they'd take him and eat his, eat his brains or something. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. Let go. Have open hands, amen? <laughs> yeah. What are some basic reasons that we need money? Basic reasons. Jesus is talking with ordinary, everyday, farm-working people out there in the valleys. These people are mostly is an agrarian society. A lot of farming going on. A lot of just basic jobs. For basic people, hey, we need food, we need clothes and shelter. Just some simple things, you know? And Jesus addresses this, these. If we don't have money, we begin to worry, right? How are we going to take care of these normal things? What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? My clothes are wearing out. Where am I going to live? What's going to happen? Ha! Ah, I don't have the means to take care of myself. I can't, you know, I can't keep up. And Jesus speaks to our basic needs here. He goes, therefore, meaning therefore means because of what he just said. And what did he just say? He says you can't serve God in money. So because of this, don't worry about your life. What you're going to eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life. It all comes down to trusting the Lord. It comes, it comes down to trusting the Lord for our lives, needs, for our needs. Trusting Him. If we're His kid, just logic would say that He's going to take care of us. Amen? And just speaking experientially as a kid who's blowing it a lot in God's kingdom, even when you're wacko, God still takes care of you amazingly. Isn't it, isn't it weird? Even when you blow it, there's grace. That's a great house to be in. Now, sometimes it's not as much as we like. Maybe Jesus is teaching us something there. Paul, I think the issue here that, that we're kind of dealing with is contentment. We begin to worry when we're not content with what we have sometimes. Sometimes we're worrying because we don't have it and we don't see a practical way to get it. 
That's where faith comes in. Trusting the Lord. I don't know. All I know is that it says that you will take care of me as I what? It's going to come up here. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. So I don't need to worry about how it's all going to come into play. I'm going to do what you've given me to do. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to seek your kingdom. And then you, by obligation, have to. That's the fun thing. The only thing you can hold God, God to is what he said. He'll take care of us. We're not forcing him. It's just because when he says it, it happens. He'll take care of us. Take care of our needs. Have you ever seen the righteous begging bread? You know that verse. And I don't know, my experience is that even more, even more so, he's so good to us. But worry, it all comes down to trusting the Lord. It also means that we should be content with what he has given us, not seeking more than he desires for us. This is a major danger in our culture, right? Major danger. It's a difficult temptation for the believer to seek more and more and more and more things. The Lord desires a simple trust in him for our lives, for our provisions, for our food, for our clothes, and everything else. If we're his, why should we worry about one thing? Verse 28, And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. I mean, look at the flowers in spring. Isn't it amazing? What have they done, you know, to, to do that? And he's saying, I tell you what, Solomon, who had all the riches in the world, he was never adorned like these. Look at these things that your father is taking care of. Your father has created. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and thrown in the fire and burned, right? Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. He's dealing with the area of trust. Is he going to take care of your needs? And it comes down to, I just asked this question of myself, do, do I really know the Lord? Do I really know how much he loves me? If I don't know, why not? Do I know more about the San Diego Chargers football team? Or the Seattle Seahawks, okay, whatever. <clears throat> do I know more about these things that I knew, know more about God and his tendencies and his patterns and his, the way he does life? You know what I'm saying? Oh, how he loves us. 31, so don't worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So why do I, so what, what do I do, you know? How do I quit worrying? How do you quit worrying? By faith. Fear is the opposite of faith. Look at this, verse 33. But seek you, me. We seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. It's the upside down kingdom. Remember I was telling you man's way, God's way? Man's way is to go get it and strive after it. God says, don't strive, strive after me. Go after me and then all these things will be given unto you. It's upside down, it's backwards. It seems ludicrous. Doesn't it? It's upside down, and this is the kingdom we live in. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. How cool. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus speaking from personal experience. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Live after the Lord, not this world and its worries. Man's way is to make it happen. I'm going to make this happen. The Lord's way is to trust him. In faith is active. That's one thing. Sometimes we think we just need to sit and do nothing. You know, it's amazing how you'll be asking, Lord, how am I going to meet this need? And all of a sudden he provides a side job for you. You know? Oh, Lord, I don't need to do this. No, I want you to give me the money. I just gave you a job. Go, go work. Amen? The Lord works naturally, supernaturally all the time. He's not always going to drop off a bag of groceries at your front door, although he just kind of has a habit of doing that. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes he just, he, he puts it in front of you. He's good. He knows. He knows what we need. The Lord's way is to trust him. How do we trust him? We seek him. We obey him. We love him. And all these things will be given to you as well. He's going to take care of your needs. He's going to take care of your food and your clothes. And, you know, who knows what else he's going to pour upon us. What do you do to your children? What have you done to your kids? You love them? Don't you get frustrated when they like your to- their toys more than they like you? You want to be the object, right? The Lord wants your focus. Let him be your vision. Let him be your master. Let him be your treasure this morning. Amen? Be our all in all, Lord. If he's number one, then the other things aren't, and then you can enjoy them. Amen? <laughs> like I told you, remember when I was serving the Lord and leading worship when I was 20, 21, saw a surfboard, and I'm like, man, I would really like to surf, Lord. And all of a sudden, there was a guy on my worship team who played drums who made surfboards. So we developed a relationship. It was in the Lord, and it was good, and we made a surfboard together. And he taught me how to surf, and we had fun, and I worshiped God because of it. I didn't worship surfing. It's all about the Lord and experiencing his goodness and his creation and just having fun with him. You know? All the good things he has for you. But seek him first. And then just enjoy these other things he gives. Amen. Father, I lift up your church, your beautiful church who you died for. I pray, Father, that you would work in our hearts these things that you've spoken out of your word, that it would change us, Lord, Um, that we would be about your kingdom. Make that a reality, and I pray that there would be things that your spirit would lay upon our hearts that we would actually do to obey and to please you today. I pray that we wouldn't be like the monkey, and I pray that we would be open-handed, Lord, and be a servant of the Most High God. Bless these people, Father. Bless the ladies as they come down. Keep them safe. Lord, we want to impact your, your, your community here of Walla Walla and wherever we might be this week. So by your Spirit, Lord, move your church forward and take some ground. In the name of Jesus, amen.